0: The following audio is from the Grove Church. To find out more about our church or to check out previous messages, go to our website at grove.church. Well, good morning, everybody. I appreciate immensely all the amazing compliments on my beard. It's really coming in nice, and uh, follow me for more beard tips, so just let me know. I feel like I'm gonna leave here and and become a lumberjack or something crazy, but anyways, uh, this is my best attempt, and this is all I've got, so if it's not good enough for you, I'm sorry. (laughs) I don't know what else to say. My wife loves it. And by love it, I mean she doesn't like it at all. Um, so <clears throat> she got home from vacation. She wouldn't even kiss me. So I literally was almost going to shave it. I'm like, nope, not good enough. Okay. So pray for our marriage. We're doing, we're doing all right. She's not here today. And that's not why she's not here today. So... Hey, we're in a series called James Back to the Basics, and um, if you got a Bible with you, turn to chapter 4. We're going to jump into that here in a moment, and we're going to tackle the whole chapter, which is a lot, but uh, James chapter 4 is where we'll land. i got a few questions I want to ask to jump into the conversation, though, um, and I'm going to ask by a raise of hands these questions, so here we go. Um, Has anyone in here ever had a selfish desire? Just go ahead and, yeah, so, all right, and by the way, if you got a kid in here, feel free to help raise their hand, so, because we know... How about anybody in here ever been jealous? Okay, hand up. All right, yeah, we're doing good so far. Um, anyone ever wanted something you knew you shouldn't have? Just, okay, good. Some of you guys are like cake, and you don't mean just a piece of cake, you mean like the whole cake, and don't, I'm not even going to ask if anybody in here has ever eaten a whole cake at once, so um, some, some of us have. Um, in the shower, depressed, no, just kidding, okay. Um, that's, that was weird, we're going to move on. How about this? Anybody ever prayed selfishly before? Just, okay, good. If you didn't raise your hand at any of these, how many of you guys have just lied? Go ahead and we'll, (laughs) all right. the, the the thing about these, these questions is when we get to James chapter four, and again, remember just a quick backstory on James, we're talking about the leader in the church of Jerusalem during a time of persecution when uh, the, the, the church was scattered and he cares deeply about how they're doing. So he's writing saying, hey, with all that's going on in different cultures and different contexts, but he's got some real serious things to say. And chapter four is one of those. And so it feels really, really heavy, but, but the basic theme, if you take it in chapters, which The Bible wasn't written in chapters and verses. It was, you know, these are letters, but we added those just as a place of reference. So I can say, turn to chapter four, but chapter four as a basic theme would be hubris versus humility. And if you go, what's hubris, it really just basically means like pride. So pride versus humility, and it jumps in and we're going to go through the whole chapter. I'm going to read a few verses. I'm going to pray, and then we'll navigate through, kind of section by section. It starts out with this, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you don't have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You don't have because you do not ask God. Jesus, today... Uh, We invite you into this whole conversation, and while we tackle a whole chapter, God, I pray you would be, uh, your spirit would be what opens every one of our hearts. Again, some that are navigating online today and listening, some that are in person. Jesus, either way, that you would do this work in each of us that we find ourselves allowing you in to some things that can feel difficult, to some things that can feel, even uh, the the word rebuke can feel very strong, and yet we don't want to deny the fact that your Holy Spirit will rebuke us and should, so I just pray for each of us to learn to have the humility to open our hearts to this conversation. Because it's not you all need it. We, Lord, we need it. In your name. Amen. So, so James again, as we open chapter 4. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you. And, and, and so you get down to it. And some of the words here I want you to notice would include, um, don't they come from the desires that battle within? And then he says, you desire, but you don't have. So you kill. And we read that and automatically, I I think hopefully almost all of us would write that part off. Like, well, that's not me hopefully. But um, the the problem is, remember, Jesus raises the bar when it comes to the idea of killing or the idea of murder, because he says, you know, you've heard it said, you shall not murder, kill. But I say to you, if you've ever hated your brother, held bitterness and hatred towards someone else, and all of a sudden there's a lot more of us that are in the conversation because it's like, yeah, been there, done that, not proud of it. But but it's not just actual murder. It's Reminder of what's going on within our hearts because, again, at the core of this conversation, hubris or pride versus humility. He says you covet. In other words, you passionately want something someone else has in a way that makes you angry as a dispensation towards them. You covet, but you cannot get what you want. And the result is, therefore, you quarrel and you fight. Anybody in here married, just raise your hands. And I'm just going to stop there. We'll just, okay, okay, but... (laughs) He says you covet, but you can't get what you want. So you quarrel and you fight. And again, that's not just marriage. We're familiar with it in marriage because we're in close proximity with another individual like crazy. But the truth is this idea of coveting something someone has or this selfishness that causes quarrels and fighting happens in all kinds of relationships from friendships to workplace relationships to marriages to kids and parents and all this stuff. It happens all over the place. And and so the, the problem here is this pursuit of kind of uh, this pursuit of what we want, this selfishness that keeps us at the center. We want our own way. The message version says we want our own way and we lust for what we don't have. The Amplified Bible actually uses the word we become hedonistic. And I say that because it's important to understand what he's saying there, hedonism is really the pursuit of pleasure above all else. It's kind of the epitome of, if it feels good, do it, do what I think I should do because it's good for me and what I want and my emotions or, or, you know, my internal processing. And so then he goes on to say, you don't have because you don't ask God. So he starts with that. He's going to take it a step further in a moment But it's this idea of we quarrel and fight and we covet and we have all this going on inside of us, but we're not even involving God in the conversation. Do we pray about relationships and and how others ought to matter or do we simply want what we want and we refuse to bring it to God because sometimes we know what God says. Anybody ever been there? Remember I said anybody have a selfish desire before, anybody prayed selfishly before? He says we don't ask because we know what God is saying. Let it go. Learn to forgive, hold loosely, do what they want, not what you want all the time. And then he says this, he takes it further. He says, when you ask, so you literally do pray, when you ask, you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Or verse three in a different translation says, you want what only gives you pleasure, when I mention the idea of, okay, if you're selfish and you do actually pray, sometimes we even pray hedonistically. And nobody likes what I'm about to say, but it's true probably for all of us. Lord, show them I'm right. <laughs> Anybody ever prayed that prayer before or at least thought that prayer before? Because God knows our thoughts. Okay, I, Lord, Lord, they're unlikable. I, I really need you to change them or just smite them all together. I don't really care. Okay. <laughs> And again, maybe we don't say it, but on the inside, there's something going on where where it it, it isn't as it should be. We don't say them, but we either pray them or we think them. Jesus actually uses an example. If you're taking notes, write down Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. This is Jesus saying it. It says, Jesus told a story to some who had, and this is the key, to a group To some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. And you can imagine if you know the gospels who he's talking about. But um, it says, this is his example. Verse 10. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a beloved tax collector. (laughs) You notice that tax collectors are never in in a good light in scripture. Like where's the beloved ones? There aren't any. Apparently they're all despised. So he says one was a Pharisee which is who he's talking about but anyway one was a pharisee the other was a despised tax collector the pharisee and you, this is there's humor here so please hear that. the pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer i thank you god that i'm not like other people cheaters and sinners and adulterers or that tax collector over there i fast twice weekly and I give a tenth of my income. That's a pretty weird prayer. But again, Jesus is making a point. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, Jesus says, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. And here's the clincher to the story. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled. But those who humble themselves will be exalted. And we're going to come back to that later in James 4. So that's Luke 18. We pray all the time, but what if our pray- the epitome of our prayers is, God, would you give me a great parking spot when I get to the mall? God, would you make that thing I want so bad? Would you make it go on sale? God, would you, would you make sure we have safe travels and everything always goes smooth all the time? When was the last time you prayed for something that would include discomfort and sacrifice for yourself? God, I love this individual in my life so much that I want to share Jesus with them, and I don't know how they're going to take it, but God, would you give me the strength and the words to say, and it's going to be uncomfortable maybe. God, would you check my heart when it comes to this idea of generosity? Because I'm learning as I read scripture that I want to walk out being generous, but am I, Lord, am I generous in what I give of the resources, the things I've been stewarded? When was the last time you prayed about that? Or when was the last time you prayed not to get out of a difficult situation, but prayed for the grace to endure something difficult, however long it might take, keeping your head on straight and maturing in your faith on the journey. Because we pray all the time for all kinds of things, but how often do we pray for the wisdom and grace to get through it rather than just simply God get me out of it? He says, you, 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 you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives, that what you want is pleasure as the central focus of your life. Now, verse four, he says, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of this world becomes an enemy of God. And, and again, I've said before, James in this letter doesn't pull any punches, He doesn't beat around the bush or water it down. He's literally saying there are systems that are worldly systems that you embrace and you try to embrace this idea of living for Christ. But those things cannot fundamentally go together. Those things are our opposites of one another oftentimes and we're gonna have to choose. Do I wanna be all in on being my own person and being selfish and living? Or do I wanna find myself in surrender to the things that God wants in my life. Last week in our life group, we had some great conversations and my hope would be in your life group, you're having those too. But when you look going back to James chapter three, one of the things we talked about is this is a deeply spiritual conversation. See what happens when you're bitter and you talk behind someone's back is nothing good. What happens when you're willing to in anger, lash out and say things that later on you're gonna deeply regret. Listen to me. Those things are not just hurtful. Those things are not just mean-spirited. Those things are not just unwise or unkind. Let me be very clear about the source of those things. We are, when we do that, we are unleashing evil. That's what James says. Oh, that was mean. Oh, that was hurtful. Oh, that was inappropriate oh, that was unkind. What about, oh, that was wicked. Oh, that was evil. What about that? See, go back to chapter three. And again, Jesse did a great job walking us through chapter three last week. I'm just gonna read a little bit because again, it all relates. These aren't all separate conversations. James says, who is wise and understanding among you? Here's, Here's focus on these words. Great. Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. But, and here's the opposite, but if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't boast about it or deny the truth, and it means the truth that it's not right. He says this, such wisdom, and he puts it in quotes meaning it's not wisdom, such wisdom does not come down from heaven. And here's his description. This is James' description of of worldly attitudes, bitter envy, selfish ambition, stuff that is dividing and and, and, and polarizing relationships. Here's what he says. This doesn't come from heaven, but it's earthly and it's unspiritual and it's... What? Demonic. Demonic. And listen to me very carefully. There are many people in the world and the culture that we live in and even sometimes within the church that would say the idea of of, of evil is symbolic and the idea of a devil and fallen angels and temptation that pulls you away and this spiritual battle that is going on is, is just a symbolic thing. There's good stuff, and there's not good stuff, and and that's just how life goes. And James would say it is demonic. In other words, there's evil being unleashed when you and I live leaning into being full of selfish ambition, being full of bitter envy, being full of, of, of worldly wisdom that isn't helping us relationally between us and God and us and others. And then he says this, but the wisdom that comes from heaven, and here's some words for you to remember but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all, pure. Then peace loving. Then considerate. Submissive to God, full of mercy, good fruit, impartial, sincere. Peacemakers, verse 18, who sow in peace will reap a harvest of righteousness. When you and I In our communication, in person, with others, online, social media, whatever ways, when you and I communicate, we're either unleashing things that are full of virtue and the spirit of God, or things that are unleashing evil and the spirit of wickedness. And James isn't saying it's just symbolic. He's trying to remind us of the weight of what we carry in this conversation, In a very real sense, you and I are objects of spiritual good or spiritual evil, and I think for most of us in this room, we would go, I want to be full of spiritual good. I want the virtues. I want the real wisdom, not the earthly wisdom. It's a dumb example, and bear with me here. How many guys remember playing the game Go Fish? Okay, it's been, I don't know, decades since I've played the game Go Fish. But go fish is, is what you can imagine. And it basically goes like this. You have a bunch of kids cards and they have animals on them and there's sheeps and there's cats and there's bears and there's all these animals and, and you have your cards and they have their cards and a and, and bunch of people. and you go, hey, do you have the cat? And they have the cat and it's a match and that's great. Or they don't have the cat and what do they say? Go fish. Go fish. And so you grab a card and it's not the cat. And now you have more problems, more <laughs> cards in your hand. And it means you're kind of losing that's the game. Go fish. I know this is a dumb example, and it doesn't mean you ever have to come back here. I get it, okay? But I would say, in some ways, just for you to sort of remember the game, go fish, when it comes to the spiritual dynamic of your life in relationship with others. If I said, "Hey, Chris, man, when it comes to my life, do you see in me? Um, uh, do you see in me grace?" If, if an accountability between me and Chris, Chris goes, "Go fish, man." <laughs> That's not good. Now, I know it's a dumb example, but if Chris says, yeah, dude, I feel like you're a person that walks in grace, that's awesome. But I I say it as a stupid example to simply remind us when it comes to what James talks about in verses 17 and 18, pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, good fruit, impartial, sincere peacemakers who sow in peace and reap righteousness. If those are you're good, awesome. If it's go fish and you got a mountain full of cards, we got work to do. The good news is, every single one of us in some of these words is gonna have work to do because we haven't arrived. We haven't got to eternity yet, so we're always being shaped and, and molded through this whole journey of a lifetime. But I say it because he, he, he reminds us listen, this whole thing is a big deal. This whole thing means we're siding with evil or we're siding with God and the Holy Spirit. And then he says, or do you think, and this is a weird verse if you don't understand it, or do you think that the scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? What he's saying is go fish. If you were to prayerfully invite the Holy Spirit to reveal to you, hey, does my life have grace, Lord? Is my life full of, you know, uh, uh, all those words, purity, peace, love? do they have those? He's literally saying the spirit of God jealously wants these things developed in your life. And then he says, but he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. It's a story of of, of hubris in our lives. What pride can do to destroy us and the relationships around us as opposed to what humility can do. And then he's going to get real serious and it's going to feel a little bit painful here. He says, submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. And again, he's being literal. There is an enemy of our souls, the devil, who constantly is pulling us the direction God doesn't want. He says, come near to God, and God will come near to you. And this is where it gets a bit rough. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. James, in a nutshell of these verses, is saying this. Take this conversation seriously. It should cause you from being flippant and passive, and you joke about how you don't like this person, and you badmouth that individual, that you take seriously like, oh God, that's not okay. Oh God, you don't want me talking like that, treating people like that. Trying to get away with these attitudes and things that surface, that that cause, you know, division in relation. You don't want that. God, let me take this seriously. And then the encouraging verse 10, kind of the culmination of how to navigate this. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. In other words, what God has done in Christ, that the power of the cross of Jesus is that you and I, when we miss the mark, can come back to that place and go, God, would you forgive me for that attitude? Would you forgive me for the way I talked about them? Would you forgive me for withholding? Would you forgive me for the selfishness? Would you? And then the beauty of it is, when we come in humility, God's grace covers it. Anybody else thankful for that? Yeah. God's grace covers it. He says, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. If you've been in church world for any length of time, I remember decades ago, because I started serving Jesus in the 90s, a song that we sang in church world. Humble thyselves in the sight of the Lord. And the the women would would echo. Anybody remember this? Come on, bear with me. Humble thyselves in the sight of the Lord. Humble thyselves in the sight of the Lord. And he will lift you up higher and higher and he... Okay, so there's your song for the day because I was told I haven't sung recently. And there's a reason for that and the exits are over here, over there. And if you're online, you can just hang up. Anyway, but... There is something too, and again, that that song echoes in me as I'm putting my notes together because it's that picture of God's grace being extended where you and I miss it. And unfortunately, there are times where you and I are going to miss it. It's not the nature of like, oh, big deal. I'm just going to miss it. No, no, no. It's not cheap grace, but it's understanding that God's grace is there that when we go, you know what? This stuff in me has got to stop. This stuff in me has got to come to an end and it means repentance, and it means confession, and it means choosing to walk a different way through the invitation in your life of the Holy Spirit being engaged, empowering you to walk differently than you've been walking. Brothers and sisters, verse 11, don't slander Another, one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister judges them and speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you're not keeping it, but you're sitting in judgment on it or over it. There is only one lawgiver, capital L, and one judge, capital J. The one who is able to save and destroy, but who are you to judge your neighbor? So what he's saying is in this whole conversation about hubris is in the midst of your pride, in the midst of you thinking that that what you get and what you want is always the the center of our world, that you look at others and where they might miss the mark, you look down your nose. That when, when, when they're not walking the way you think they should be walking and whether they're believers or not or whatever, it doesn't necessarily always matter, but it's this whole picture of thinking I'm in a better spot. Therefore, I can tell you what's wrong with you. And yet when hubris is activated or pride exists in our hearts, it's hard to have conversations about humility because we're being hypocritical. Do you remember when Jesus said, Hey, you you keep looking at at the speck of dust in your, your, your brother's eye over here and trying to deal with it. All the while you've got a two by four sticking out of yours. Yes. He's being ironic when he says it, but it is that picture of like, Oh, you got a speck of dust. Let me help you. It doesn't, it's, that's dumb. And that's Jesus point is like, look, you've got stuff in your own life that needs to be corralled. You've got issues in your own life that you've got to navigate, that you get to the point where you in humility, understanding your situation before God can repent and deal with it, then gives you the place to say to somebody you love and you're concerned about, about anything that maybe is missing a mark. Hey, can we talk about this? But it doesn't come from pride. It doesn't come from hubris. It doesn't come from you thinking you're better. It's you understanding your utter brokenness before Christ and in your brokenness, being able to encourage, not beat down another brother and sister in Jesus. Cause he says, God's the judge. God's the lawgiver. In the end, everything's going to come out in the wash, but don't ever forget when Paul says to the church in Rome, it's the kindness of God that leads us into repentance. And when we sit in judgment, we're not helping others understand the grace and mercy of Christ. We ought to spend our time focusing on our own heart and our own attitudes. That's a majority of this journey is what's going on in me and how am I being shaped to love and serve others? He says, now listen, you who say today or tomorrow, we're going to go to this city or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make a bunch of money. Why, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while, then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we'll go to this place or that place and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. On one hand, it's a bit of a different conversation, but remember, the whole chapter is about pride. It's about this hubris. I pulled myself up by my bootstraps. I got a degree, and I can be successful. And I'm charismatic, and all this stuff, and so I'm going to go out and do that and watch what I can do. James says in a nutshell Deal with the issue of pride, whether it's the pride of selfishness that you always want your own way to the demise of others, and you even end up praying selfishly because it's about you, and you even live in a worldly system that isn't helping you, and you mistreat and judge others because it's about you, and you're gonna travel over here and go over there and do all this stuff and be flashy, amazing, and powerful, and rich, and it's all about you. Here's what he says at the end of the chapter. Why don't you make it a pattern to involve God? Why don't you make it a pattern to invite the Holy Spirit to guide your life? And this isn't a scare tactic when I say this. It's part of what he's saying. There's not one of us in this room that's guaranteed tomorrow. Find plans. Make plans. You have an idea I'm going to go there. I might do this or that. But how about through the lens of God? However my life plays out, I have some thoughts. But Lord, what you want is really what I want. And if that's not your plan, if this thing isn't your plan, if that direction, this career path, this open door, if that's not you, then God, I really don't want it. What I love in, in all of this, and he ends the whole chapter with saying, if anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it's sin. And if you read just that verse, All of us are like, that's every day, man. Keep in mind, and it goes back to the whole letter he's written so far, but keep in mind, just in the context of chapter four, he's saying, now that some guys yelled at you for about 30 minutes, if the Holy Spirit is is doing something in your heart, listen. If the Holy Spirit is doing something in your heart, do something about it. Don't let that stuff stay there because it's going to destroy you. It's going to destroy others. And none of us wants that. If you know, when you hear a message like this, things that aren't as they ought to be, deal with it. And the beauty of deal with it simply means, Lord, I'm not doing what I ought to be doing. I'm not acting the way I ought to be. I'm not surrendering this stuff to you. It's the ability to say, forgive me. If you know the good you ought to do based on this message, do it. If it means treating your spouse different, praise God. If it means your neighbor being treated differently and better, great. Your kids, great. Your coworkers, great. The spiritual dynamic of your life between you and Jesus, great. Remember, James is writing this. And who is James in relation to Jesus? His half-brother. Jesus is the Messiah. James is the, the the. Son of Mary and Joseph, of donkey fame, of this inn, you know, the manger, Christmas. But James wasn't a believer in his half-brother being the Messiah while Jesus was still here. Later on, he was fully committed. And like I said, he led the church. Who is he challenging us to be like when he writes this? Now, he's not name-dropping. He's like, hey, be like my bro, right? He's not name-dropping. But he is saying, hey... Do you see Jesus walking around with a selfish jealousy? You see him as Mark wrote for for you and I, what Mark wrote, what John wrote, when Matthew, what Luke had to say about how Jesus existed. Do you see him bitter? Or do you see him extending grace and mercy day after day? Anybody else grateful for that? I love that verse that says his mercies are new every morning. One of the cool things about about this idea of time is that we get new beginnings. Some of you guys are like, 2023 needs to come to a close so I can get to January 1, happy new year for me. But here's what you need to know. God also gives us months. And some of you guys are just days away, I need a new month. But God also gives us weeks. Some of you guys go, last Monday through today wasn't great. I get a new Monday through the next Sunday. I could use that. But some of us, it's getting up in the morning going, I need a new mercy today. And for some of us, it's understanding every hour is a new beginning. Every moment's a new opportunity to look at it differently than I did an hour ago. See, James is trying to compel us to become more like Jesus. And I love that. We don't die for the sins of others because Jesus did that. But our mandate is to become like Christ because that's how light shines. Christian means little Christ's doesn't mean savior it means little Jesuses in our world that needs light that's who we're called to be so so james says slay hubris and invite humility and let that be the place in our lives that we land when we don't match up confront it with confession where we need the power from the holy spirit prayerfully invite him to come in and fill us when we know that that, that we should be doing something differently, start doing it. Inviting the Holy Spirit to empower you every moment. It is the difference between hubris and humility, the difference between spiritual evil and spiritual revival. Let's pray. Father, today, it's a conversation that we all need it's a conversation that can be really difficult. But God, you want to slay pride in us. And we don't have time today to go back to the original sin, the fall of Satan, the whole idea of, of, of the demonic realm and, and, and the pride and all that. But God, I pray for all of us to understand in a fresh way anywhere that we're given to pride, anywhere that we lack humility, that is our, is our life marked by repentance, Not that we grovel, and this is supposed to be spiritual misery all the time as followers, but we understand where grace and forgiveness is found is in humility. To submit to God, to resist the devil. Father, for each person in this room, I pray your grace, your work, your power. Pour over every single heart that what we want is to lean into what you desire in us. Just as James said to deal with pride, to invite humility. It will change our dynamic between us and you. It will change the dynamic of marriages and families, workplaces, friendships, will change even coming into the holidays and some people shudder at the thought of gatherings coming up. But God, humility can change how we do a Thanksgiving or a Christmas or whatever else might be coming. God, thank you for your power at work